Don't make her go full retard. In honor of miracles from heaven, pick a role for Jennifer Garner to play that is better. I'm Katie Rich, and I'm thinking some kind of Mr. and Mrs. Smith riff where she's a suburban mom, but also a spy. Is that what Orphan Black is? It's me, Dave, with a seven. Don't tell Katie what Orphan Black is. The first female <laughs> Judge Dredd. Just let her use her lips and physicality to kick her husband's bat fleck to the curb. I am at Patches, and you know Michael Clayton? Here's Michaela Clayton. <laughs> I'm David Ehrlich, and Patches said that I would go with either 32 going on 30 or 50 going on 30, but he was both wrong and I think a little bit insulting. I'm going to go with 40 going on 30. <laughs> I said 13 going on 50 or 13. I don't know. So she travels Thir- back to thir- being 30? 13 going on 40, not 40. Go- what did I say? 13 it should going be 13 on- going on 40. 13 going on 40. Got it. Freaky Friday? Yes. Freaky Saturday. Yeah, a Freaky Friday remake with Jennifer Garner. I'd watch that. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 111 for Tuesday, March 15th, 2016. On this day in 1956, My Fair Lady opened at Mark Hellinger Theater in New York. That theater must not exist anymore. I have never heard of it before, but good on My Fair Lady. <laughs> Landmark. Is it a good musical? I think, I mean, Why sure. are you asking that question, like, just so you could hear someone affirm your entire life choice? <laughs> What are you saying? I don't know, Patches. Is it a good musical? Why, I'm glad you asked. The rated spin. No, I'm not even going. <laughs> that was not a setup. Oh, we'll get the all singing. Episode. I was genuinely curious. I'm One sorry. of these days. Um, well too. Before, we get, before we get started, I hear we have some new reviews. We do. We've been stocking them up, so we should have a lot. Mm, we do. And let me tell you, by the way. Uh, my Donald Trump impression needs a lot of work. And then I <laughs> that was your Donald Trump impression? No, it wasn't. It was sort of half-assed. I don't think I actually have a You Donald know, Trump back in my day, these people, we yeah, used to be the able way, to deal with them with violent, violently. He'd be coming out of there on a stretcher. It's mostly with the hands. Because oh, if you watch his hands, it's really just sort of mess. There's also a lip smack, right? It's got to be like... Yeah. Uh, uh, the mouth moves in like a trapezoidal fashion. And then, then the claws, the little tiny man claws that he has keep going. Objective so far. I really don't like where this episode is. Anyway, we do have some episodes. The first from our pal Scott Beggs, aka Junk Food Fan, says, Review Haiku. If I were casting slash a sitcom, it would be hard slash to find a better mix of personalities slash sorry that last line violated the 575 slash haiku principle slash this turned into free verse quickly slash or maybe a sonnet. I haven't slash counted. Each person brings a different perspective and personality to the table, crafting insights that obviously get due consideration from around the table, leading to fresh perspectives and surprises. All the best. Keep up the good work. Your pal, Scott Beggs. Thanks, Scott uh, Thank you, Scott. We actually, uh, unfortunately, do not sit around a table. Uh, we are all in a row. Yeah. I've transcended like Johnny Depp, actually. Katie has a baby. We can all do the podcast. That <laughs> we should give a shout out to, to Scott who uh, does the Broken Projector podcast uh, for Graciously. 
giving those kind words because he 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 doesn't have to. He's fighting us for a spot under the Billions podcast. So. Broken Projector also a great podcast. So yes, we're all fighting for spots on. under the Billions <laughs> podcast. We're all in this together. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, did we read Mad Mads twenty eight? Who says Fitwer forever? This podcast is everything Fitwer as the entourage. Katie equals E. Patches equals drama. Dave Seven equals Turtle. David equals Ari. I say that no one is Vince because Vince is hardly a character. Wow. That's that a great Vince. review of Entourage. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I've learned more about that show. Did anyone see that movie? I did. Ooh. What's wrong with you? A lot. That's where we're we'll uh, capping off for this week. We can uh, we still have some more to reach over uh, for next week, but leave us yeah. uh, leave us some reviews and uh, maybe uh, if you're listening to this podcast because of I think it was Film Independent. Yes, had an article this week about their five favorite film podcasts. We were very fortunate and so kind. Uh, you know, it was gracious to include us in that. So uh, if you're listening to that because of this, listening they to got us, it right. Let's just they say got that. it very right. Welcome yes. to the show. Uh, it's we like will Hamilton, try not to disappoint you. <laughs> H- Hamilton is better. No, we're better. <laughs> Hamilton's good. We're also cheaper. <laughs> Way cheaper much than cheaper. Hamilton. Cheaper and much more accessible. Obama so. has been listening to our podcast for longer than he's been enjoying Hamilton. But he's he goes got, back to the opposite keynote. Musical skills. The rain in Spain. <laughs> We've got magic to do just for you, and now we're going to do it. Dear God. So guys, I caught up with seeing Zootopia today. Zootopia? Couple of days. Kids love it. Couple days ago. Who knows when the crazy world of podcasting, you know, when I actually saw it as compared to when you're listening to it. But I saw it and was, you know, pleasantly surprised. Especially after like Wreck It Ralph to see Disney, you know, tackling race with animals in such a you know carefully nuanced noir detective story, I guess would be the way I would put Wait, it. Wait, what did Wreck It Ralph do about race that we don't like? No, Wreck It Ralph was good. Everything. Uh, oh, it was bad for all races. I mean, no, I'm not sure about that. Wreck It Ralph, I oh. really liked, but in terms of like Disney animation, there's you know peaks and valleys in the history of Disney animation, and it looks like we're coming up on another peak where Pixar got weak for a little while and Disney Animation didn't sleep on that vacuum for thoughtful storytelling. So I think Wreck-It Ralph was a step in the right direction, as was the short that came before it, Paper Man, which I still think is a great example of 3D as 2D. It's it's amazing that Paper Man and their most recent short, Feast, which uses a kind of cel-shaded animation to tell this really funny dog story, they have not informed the, the feature movies at all. I, like I find that think so it's baffling. funny they're, because they're so beautiful. Heart-wrenching. Yeah, Zootopia is, uh, is a very ugly movie, I thought. Well, okay. Oh, boy. Oh, okay, okay. We've so, slammed CG animation on this podcast quite a bit, and I've been in harmony with why stop in now? doing that. No, I know. <laughs> I, I often agree with you, but and because Frozen, for me, was a very ugly movie, and you can go back into the vault to find that argument. I, we don't have enough time here. But I disagree with you, David. I think Zootopia is is quite stunning. 
actually in in a very video gamey way because it's a it's basically like the sims with cartoon animals but i'm gonna hand it to dave to explain why well, I, I really, well maybe you don't agree actually i have no idea i mean i really liked the world building that zootopia does and i think that's essential to its story so therefore they spend a lot of time on it and there's uh the main character judy is a rabbit and he meets nick the con man who's a fox and the thing that I noticed uh, while watching it is I kept having flashbacks like I had seen these characters before. And what dawned on me by the end of the movie and as I was like walking home is that Disney is still animating on style for anthropomorphized animals, which th- hasn't changed since like the 60s. All this changes, we have like another dimension to it. But Robin Hood the Fox is basically Nick the Fox and all the various rabbits that are in the rabbit family from Robin Hood, I feel like, also More than are... that. Yeah. More what than does that. on There's style a... mean, Dave? So, like, they're um, a very similar design. The proportion from, like, the length of the nose to the size of the eyes, the different expressions they make, what parts stay human, what parts stay go animal, are, like, different. So, like, if you um, make an example of, like, a 2D animated, like, Shere Khan versus like a Zootopia tiger versus like Angelina Jolie's tiger from Kung Fu Panda, you see three things that are all recognizably tiger, but Zootopia and Shere Khan look similar. Like they have a long, broad nose because Disney is still animating anthropomorphized animals by accentuating the same human features within animals. Which I I think they've they've had the same house style, even though the technology for animation has totally changed. Correct. And uh, they've uh, talked about it in interviews of making Zootopia that Robin Hood was like a large influence. And because of that, like the history of Disney, that's actually the like nine old men period. So they're having all these people draw things that are getting used across multiple movies. So Baloo the Bear is Little John. Yeah, exactly. Jungle Book is another big reference, I think, for Zootopia because there's a panther in Zootopia that plays a kind of pivotal role in the mystery and looks exactly like Bagheera. Yes. From Jungle Book. And yeah, as you were saying, you know, there's these amazing YouTube videos that kind of overlay and kind of um, outline drawings of figures from Robin Hood and Jungle Book. And yeah, it's exactly the same. They're using the same models all the time. But is th- is that a negative? It sounded when, Dave, you and I were going at it on Twitter a little bit about this. And it sounded like a negative for you to use I mean, this style. But this is kind of a legacy thing that provides soul for these characters. I found like a lot, I was a lot more attached to the Zootopia characters, probably because of the the legacy house style as opposed to... I don't know, Frozen and some of these kind of princess characters that they're riffing on. I guess the argument that I ended up getting into that I found really interesting with other people, not just you on Twitter, was that um, the story of Zootopia really worked for them and so much so that the style is like something that they happened across looking at afterwards, which was nice because then I was in a position to actually like, have a discussion with people because at first I thought it was bad, but then I started hearing like the house style argument and that they'd acknowledged it. And I'm like, well, maybe there is like something key in this. And so I started going back and talking about like, who's your favorite, you know, like rabbits or who's your favorite, you know, bird from these Disney movies and then trying to look at clips on YouTube and trying to figure out what they did change. So a lot of the animals in Zootopia, because the story is about them going savage occasionally, do have more 
animal-like behavior simply because sometimes it's easier to work with a 3D model. So it's like if you want to make a rabbit's nose twitch in 3D, that's like tweaking a few points on like this uh, pre-designed character. In 2D, that means breaking out the face, which is usually like just the jaw and the upper face, and making a whole separate nose part that needs to be drawn every frame that it changes. So it's interesting to see how changes have been made in terms of what they choose to anthropomorphize. But I think the greatest thing that came about this is people starting to look at um, like the difference between relating to something because you find it familiar and relating to something because the stories put you in that situation. Because there's tons of times that I feel for Judy the rabbit in Zootopia because she's a well-written character that has an arc. I don't think there's any time that I feel for her the same way I feel for the baby rabbit that gets his change stolen by uh, the tax collector in Robin Hood. That's interesting because physicality is a lot is built into her character, right? That she is too small to be a cop, that she's not biologically inclined to do, do this duty that she pines, that she yearns to do. Uh, so it's interesting that you don't feel that way because I, I really did, just the, the size of these characters and her place in this big, sprawling world, that's important. I and mean, that's all design, not necessarily script. I mean, sure, but it's like... Um... Because it's calling from something that's in my youth, I don't. I'm never actually going to know what it is because, like, those bunnies are like when I talk about the bunnies from Robin Hood or Thumper or the, you know rabbits that are in the Sword and the Stone magicians battle. Like, that's what rabbits look like to me. It's not Bugs Bunny because I was older by the time I got like mm. really into what Warner Brothers added to animation. So I'm not sure I could ever really separate it. What was weird for me with Zootopia is that the the world building and the design of the actual city of Zootopia was so great. I kind of wish that you let those same minds push into what animals should look like instead of just reverting back to something. But I think they do that in action, right? You and I were obsessing over the kind of twitch of uh, Judy's nose right. in certain scenes. Her, you know, she's like a rabbit. She's always kind of like sniffing around uh, or whimpering and, and the subtle action. And that's where the CG really does do it for me. Like I mentioned, we've complained about it a lot here. We love 2D animation, the legacy of that. Um, but 3D animation can do this kind of very subtle, realistic movement, but in a cartoonish setting, which the sensation f of that for me uh, can be, I don't know, really really prosperous. It's, it's exciting. I would agree with you in Zootopia specifically with Mr. Big, who I think is a character that wouldn't have worked in 2D animation, just because of the nuance that you need to show that character is not a stereotypical mob boss, but also have, like, a little bit of, you know, humor behind him. I think, like, animating something that's small and it's based on, like, smaller movements or, like, the curl of a lip, that's the sort of thing that we're going to start seeing a lot more in 3D. My worry is that, like, if we're basing it on designs that were made during the 2D era, those designs weren't necessarily built to do the things that 3D animation can do as a storytelling device. Well, that so, is interesting because if I've, so you're I've gone to the... Well, I've, go, I've gone to Disney Animation and when they were working on Big Hero 6 because I'm obsessed with 2D, so I was like, where do... They still employ a lot of 2D animators there and what those guys do is draw skeletons 
for the 3D animators to basically animate over. And when they do notes in the 3D builds that they've done, they will 2D animate over them to try and make the action more like how you would do it in 2D. So as if these 3D models are inhabited by the soul of 2D animation. Uh, so yeah, they're definitely harkening back as much as possible. But it's interesting, your perspective, that maybe that's holding them back. I mean, it's, there- you could look with something like humans, right? So like DreamWorks has like one human model that they like stretch and squish to make different humans across all the different DreamWorks movies. Disney didn't have that until you went into 3D animation. And that's part of the sad thing about representation in Disney movies when it comes to women or people of color (laughs) is they're squishing this, like, one human model. And so I think, like, when you have companies like uh, Leica or even to a certain extent Blue Sky with the transition from, like, uh, Ice Age to, like, the Peanuts movie, if you could push a design of a movie to be unique to that movie... I feel like you have the potential to get more out of it than you do by calling on nostalgia, by staying on, like, a house style. Like, Disney house style is great for 2D animation because you're teaching people how to make solid lines that move through 3D space, but it's a completely different workflow now that I feel like could be animated by a different process. But who knows? What I want to know from our listeners that I discovered is that, like, looking through everybody's favorite tigers, I realized that Hobbs is my favorite tiger design. <laughs> so if you guys mm. have, like, a great animal design from your youth that you're like, this is both simplicity and communicates an anthropomorphized animal, I would love to hear it because this is my new obsession topic. Was Dave, what do you, before we close out the segment, what do you think about what you've seen from the Jungle Book, the, the CG sort of photorealistic approach? Uh, I'm interested because I'm not... I'm, I wouldn't be interested in a 3D animated Jungle Book because some of the actual animation in the Jungle Book is like the pinnacle of what 2D animation can accomplish, I feel. So I'm at least excited to see a different take on it. That being said, I buy Idris Alba and I buy, surprisingly, Bill Murray, but all the other characters, uh, like Christopher Walken as the orangutan, and whoever's playing Bagheera, they're, they're grading on me because it just looks weird to have those voices coming out of realistic animals. But I mean, I, I think that I is Sir Ben Kingsley coming oh. out of Bagheera. <laughs> well, good for him. He's a chameleon panther now. Chameleon panther sounds like something a kindergartner would make up. Hey. Scars we carry Carry with memories Memories burned by the dark Try to see So this weekend is the release of Allegiant, which is another movie in the... In the <coughs> sorry. I think your body <laughs> is shutting down because it wants you to say the full and proper title of the film. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Here, I'm going to start that again, but then you can give me the full and proper title of the film. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what it is. <clears throat> so this weekend brings the release of Allegiant, which is another Divergent movie. Or if you want to give the full and proper title, what is it? The Divergent series, colon, Allegiant. Which colon, was a part one. Part one. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Back Christ. Slash. But that's not in the title. No, it's no longer in the title because they've picked a different title for part two, which it will inevitably happen when Allegiant, I assume, just does no business. But Well, this is the interesting thing. It's already open. <coughs> <coughs> you, are, you are not sounding like a divergent tonight. I know. 
Uh, it's already opened overseas and made $25 million. So in some way, like it's already made enough money maybe to keep going Is forward. That I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's only open in some countries. It hasn't opened in China, blah, blah, blah. Big. It's been, you know, it's not like it's Avengers. Savage big. to the point where they, I think, have scaled back their plannings for press screenings here. I, I don't, I can't say that with any authority because I don't know how uh, sort of elaborate their plannings for screenings were to begin with. But I do know that a lot of people who would otherwise be invited to these things have not, and were invited to previous screenings. I have not you know. been invited. Yeah, I, I have not gotten As heard one of New York's but. premier critical voices. <laughs> I have not. Been Sorry, in. that was not even bad patches. Probably because I saw Divergent at a screening and I walked out repulsed. I hated it so much. I, well, so ugh. I don't think press screenings are a that interesting or b the be all end all. But I saw Insurgent, the last movie, at the premiere at the Ziegfeld in this huge splashy thing that they invited me to, and then this movie is just non-existent as far as I can tell. And this is coming after Mockingjay had a pretty low gross compared to what they expected, even though that was part of a very big franchise that was very popular. And it makes me wonder if, like, is this the death knell of the YA post-apocalyptic thing? Like, is this franchise just giving up before it's even finished? I think so. Uh, I think that the numbers don't lie, and, and this is something that 538 talked about on their website earlier this year, and that I actually did a bit of digging into today in advance of an article I'm writing in anticipation of the uh, lackluster block, uh, box office performance of Allegiant. But it does seem like the well is sort of run dry for the YA universe uh, now that the Twilights and the Harry Potters, although Harry Potter is coming back. But Harry Potter I've always sort of seen as separate from the sort of YA phase. Yeah, Harry Potter is very different from Hunger Games. Uh, yeah, you know, and even and not just because it doesn't fall into the typically dystopian <laughs> story mold. Uh, I think it's just a different breed of, of story. You don't see a lot of uh, there's not the connections are not clearly as strong as they are between things like the Divergent series and the Hunger Games. Um, and even, you know, when they sort of co-opted uh, and tainted it in a way, these older pieces of, of YA-ish literature, like The Giver, which they made into uh, a YA movie that was indistinguishable from any of the other recent rash of them. Um, and given the source material there, Lois Lowry's book, which is required reading on like every third grade syllabus, is uh, insane. But yeah, I do think that uh, the the money would suggest the, looking at the thirty three million dollars that the fifth wave pulled in, which is uh, all told, not in its opening weekend. Yeah, um, that would that used to be that that would be a small opening weekend for one of these films. Um, I mean, that movie was made for not that much money. Either, this is true. Still, but it is uh, that is not the exception to the rule. That is the latest in a trend of these movies going downhill. Um, and while Fantastic Beasts, again, sort of unrelated to this, will be a huge success. They've already decided the next Maze Runner is going to be the last. They're not going to stretch that one out. Uh, they've already committed to doing one more of these Divergent movies. Yeah, but the Maze Runner movies are good. That's the thing. Well, that's neither here nor there. Welcome uh, to the Scorch. Yeah, and I, I think you could argue that a lot of good has come from this phenomenon. I think you've seen a lot of strong female roles uh, that were not otherwise being uh, allotted to you know large-scale films. You have seen... A generation of young actors that have used the clout that they've gotten from these movies to help bolster the financial prospects of movies by 
some of the world's best filmmakers, you know, from Kristen Stewart doing now two films with Olivia Isaias to Robert Pattinson working with David Cronenberg and uh, David Michaud and the Safdie brothers um, and Claire Denis no, and Jennifer Lawrence. Don't forget, Jennifer Lawrence was not a box office draw before. Uh, well, wait, wait, but it's like, hard to remember. None of those people are Shailene Woodley. Didn't we just tank Shailene Woodley with the well, Shailene, 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 Shailene. So this is what I worry. Is like Shailene, Shailene Woodley did the a Greg Rocky movie. Uh, yeah, she but, is she, but is she now like has this kind of hurt her career now that these movies have just kind of been like met with such a shrug? Yeah, I mean it's certainly. It, it, I mean, you'd think that the decline of it and maybe she becoming the face of that decline can't help. Um, it it was better to get out at sort of the crest of that wave, like Jennifer Lawrence did. Uh, barely, barely. Yeah, and Apocalypse is still coming out this year. Well, that's not why. That's a whole. Other it, thing. it will definitely be curious to see what direction Shailene Woodley's career goes in, what direction in which she wants to take her career uh, when this is all said and done. But I'm, I promise you, paycheck aside. Actually, I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. But my yeah. sense is that Shailene Woodley would rather not do another one of these if she could help it, which she can't. Well, but, and the director but, dropped out. Yeah, so they that have is to kind of start over from scratch. Madness. That is. I know. That's a sign too. Just like no one wants to be involved with the Divergent movies, mostly because the Divergent movies make absolutely no sense. Katie, did you see Insurgent? Uh yes, I saw the first two. I've not seen Allegiant, and I don't plan to. But I mean, just like these movies don't feel fresh in the slightest. They, they're, no, they they feel are like they're making up the rules as they go along. Right, or or they're at least drawing. They're taking all the rules from other places and kind of mashing them up. And yeah, well, like, and they have this absurd quantity of great actors in them. Like Octavia Spencer shows up for a minute in Insurgent, and you're like, just what the fuck? And then Kate Winslet is the villain in two of them. And Naomi Watts is in. Oh yeah, she is. I forgot about Naomi Watts being in them. Well, it was interesting that you know Bill Condon is not a great filmmaker by any stretch, but he is a decent one. He has some sort of artistic credibility, and the Twilight series pivoted to him. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, at the end, and made for the most interesting movies in that series. They're so good, and um, I think that the problem with the Hunger Games, not to distill it to one thing, but and something that you also see with the Divergent movie, is that they settle on mediocre filmmakers and just sort of ride that out. Whereas the Harry Potter movies, for example, uh, although working with stronger source material, uh, went for and and they found someone who they liked for those last few movies in David Yates, but they were always sort of very aggressive in making sure they had the right filmmaker for the tone. But also, and, they weren't that'll... just about plot too. Right. Like when I watched yeah. Divergent and Surgeon, it's like this is <laughs> just about going from point A to point B with a bunch of hurdles to jump, just nonsense rules and explanation and the harry potter like my favorite harry potter movie uh half blood prince is just let's hang out at school what? for an entire movie well, you know it just your it favorite seems harry like potter everyone is half blood prince go back yeah, to the episode outrageous. where we uh, talk no, about that dave i've just made a conscious decision to just let that comment glide <laughs> over me and not life's too short. so good but so good. uh it certainly looks nice get ready for the harry potter series special episodes that i guess we have to do now yeah but it does seem like uh that that lack of that sort of indifference towards who was directing these movies has uh, been emblematic of their decline. Um, and like people stopped treating them like things that could have any sort of artistic merit. And the movies reflected that. Somehow the Marvel machine produces more interesting, more compelling drama. Than- Even well, they have a- well, Marvel has a ton of stories to draw on that they can really adapt as they see fit. And then these YA books are adapting books that maybe aren't that dynamic to begin with. Yeah, I guess that's the problem. They are allegiant 
to oh god source material uh, well that is not very good. listeners if any of you see allegiant none of us it seems will uh please let us know maybe it's great maybe we're yeah, it'd be great it could the be great reviews have been just the worst out of london and well, uh, the rest of europe so could be great open could mind be great. who wants europe now <laughs> could, could be great could be great So Tin Cloverfield Lane did all right. Yeah. It, uh, we, we reviewed it last week, so you can hear kind of what we thought about the movie itself. Although, Dave, yeah, since you've seen it, I'd love for you to hear what you thought about it. Um, but we wanted to talk less about the movie itself and just kind of what we can learn from this opening and the idea of this future Cloverfield franchise. I think we all, or um, Dave, uh, David Patches and I all talked to J.J. Abrams at some point over the last few weeks, which is odd. Um, and I... I talked to him specifically, I think you guys did too, about the idea of a Cloverfield franchise and what that means. And uh, it seems like they're going to be able to do that if they so choose. Um, so I guess let's see what happens if they do well, do it. I guess the question is, can you do it, right? I think we, Katie, you and I were talking with Scott Beggs, we'll have to review all this, um, about, you know, does Cloverfield, by putting that in the title, suck the air out of... Uh, the wings of a Cloverfield movie. Do you know what you're getting? No. Is it the reverse no. mystery box? Let him finish. Stamping it Cloverfield. Uh, and I no, and I agree with everyone. You're the asking the question. Here. Yeah, well, yes, because I'm going to say no. Uh, it doesn't suck the the wind out of it because that's what the Twilight Zone was predicated on, right? Like you knew what you were kind of getting every time, but not really. And I certainly didn't feel the Cloverfield effect while watching Ten Cloverfield Lane. I wasn't waiting for the monsters to show up. Although, I, I mean, I guess I sort of was, and that was still a, a thrill. I don't know. Well, uh, Dave, yeah. since we haven't heard you weigh in on the movie, um, how, did that, how did that affect your enjoyment of Ten Cloverfield Lane? Did you uh, get spoiled on it in any way, given that you enjoy spoilers? Um, I did text one person who I knew saw it and just said, monsters, question mark, and then the response <laughs> was monsters, period. And I'm like, cool, that's all I need to know. Ah, so you kind of resisted. But maybe he meant like the monster that was John Goodman. I mean, we yes. are we are really the monsters. I like what you guys said about you know <laughs> the best case scenario for the Cloverfield franchise is first time directors getting to do like a small sci fi movie on their own terms, and I think that like Matt Reeves kind of got lost in the first week of Ten Cloverfield Lane just trying to tell people what it actually was. But now that it's a franchise, mean, wait, no, wait, hang on, Matt Reeves you directed mean the first heard? one. No, oh no, wait, wait. But Matt Reeves got lost in the first week of original Cloverfield. No, in the first week he, of 10 Cloverfield Lane, everybody talking about the marketing thing and what he's was He's talking good about J.J. Abrams and overlooking Matt Reeves. Yes, I'm talking about I everyone see. in their coverage of 10 Cloverfield Lane overlooking that it's more a first-time director's attempt at a cool thriller than it is necessarily a sci-fi movie as much as we knew back then. Got it. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to you know what that goes with and i would almost like it at this point not to have a through line like i realized that both cloverfield movies include monsters that could be aliens or that are aliens so like obviously everybody's looking with a side eye at next year's god particle that actually takes place in space partially the bad robot bot as like maybe something that you know could easily include aliens but i would just like it if it's not aliens at all if like 
they the message they got from successfully marketing this one this way is that the next poster we get is just a field of clovers like three months before we see some sort of movie and that's all the information. So go even more secretive. Like, yeah. Uh, I I don't think they're going to overplay the Cloverfield hand. I think it'll probably be a few years before they venture back in that universe. You don't think so? You don't think they're going to try to strike while the iron's hot? I do not think that is necessarily their strategy on this. I think that they have been very meticulous about it. I mean, obviously, the process by which they got to 10 Cloverfield Lane was pretty organic and not predetermined. Uh, but I do think that they want that excitement to build. They want, they need, it's like a, they need a refraction period. They need a time for people to sort of settle in before they can surprise you again. And so much about, and I mean, the mystery box, and in particular in regards to Cloverfield, is so much about more about anticipation than surprise, really. And so you really need that time. I mean, I sort of likened it to uh, in a piece that I wrote this morning about uh, Christmas. Not that I would know the first thing about Christmas. Yes, But uh, that it's, uh, the mystery box is really much less about the gift that you get and much more about sort of looking at what's under the tree. And, and it's less about Christmas morning than it is about trying to go to sleep on Christmas Eve. And I think, I think they really need that time. I think you're overlooking the joy of franchises. And I think that like this Dave, movie, the way it, hold, I hold on, let me finish my argument the before you franchise. So like JJ Abrams developed this movie into a Cloverfield movie after he, you know, finished star Wars and his experience on Star Wars broke a lot of his mystery box rules that he had developed earlier. He's evolving well, with a way to true. talk. Wait, no, he's evolving as a way to talk that, to audiences. That chronology is not true. Which, like, which chronology? Was, I don't know if it's relevant to your argument, but it he uh, was not nearly finished with Star Wars when they started developing this into a Cloverfield movie. He shot it. Like, he had been part of, like... Yeah, he a, was... <laughs> it's yeah. the semantics. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how crucial to your argument this is, the timeline... So um, like, if it is crucial, I would correct you. If it's not, we can move on. What I'm saying is that like Star Wars was so controlled with its rollout, like more controlled than the first Cloverfield was. And that worked to such an extremely good degree for people like Matt who saw nothing or for people like me that were seeing everything and trying to learn everything. I feel like both views of the movie managed to see the movie for what it was more so than other like twist-based or J.J. Abrams mystery box movies. So what I'm saying is that maybe he's discovered like the marketing power of a franchise and if people are going to show uh, up think... for cloverfield if as long as it's a formula and that formula is <laughs> late trailer arg thriller movie with a cloverfield title i will tell you this yeah um from my from my long uh, and very intimate friendship with jj J. abrams that exists in a 10-minute period in a hotel room. Um, pretty much all we talked about is the differences in his approach to Star Wars and Cloverfield. The one thing that he really impressed upon me was um, how he really learned to treat every movie differently. Um, and how he was making sure... Sh- he, he really sort of regarded Cloverfield as the antidote to Star Wars. Not just for him personally, but also for what it represented and sort of the mechanism... But of isn't that what Dave is saying? Yeah, I don't think you guys are saying yeah. different things. Well, no, I don't I'm, think I am either. I'm, well, Dave's saying that he wants to treat that he he thinks that JJ Abrams might treat Cloverfield like a franchise. That I'm saying that what he's learned from Star Wars is that he wants to treat Cloverfield very differently. He wants. But I to, think he. I think he would. He did, would say out loud that he's treating Cloverfield like a franchise. Like he's treating it like a franchise the way the Twilight Zone is a franchise. Oh, there's no argument to me that that you know they have definitely sort of. Uh, ret- retcon this franchise. I mean, it's like suddenly we look back at Cloverfield as a franchise movie. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, I'm, but, I'm not saying it's been a franchise since 2000. 
But I think no, the no, whole lot of this movie is franchising. What I interpreted Dave to be saying, and I could be wrong, was that he was going to take... I mean, it's always a learning experience, but it, to me it sounded like Dave was saying that he was going to apply the very literal lessons in the, 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 the sort of marketing... Uh, strategy that he used for Star Wars. No, to the opposite. No, no, the no. opposite. Yeah, Cloverfield you, is the antidote to yes. uh, Star Wars. One hundred percent. Where Star Wars is, you have to give everyone everything at a you know eight months out, seven months out, six oh, months see. out, and yeah, and then Cloverfield is. God, I can curl up in a ball here, and there's an exact way to do this, and that means develop a movie under one title because yeah, Cloverfield. This movie was going to be a Cloverfield Cloverfield movie a year out. One hundred percent. Um, and then it would become a Cloverfield movie to the general public when we got that trail. I see. Oh, and you right. can see the guy who's been on a Star Wars publicity tour for I mean, oh, like, fuck like yeah. two years, being like, like relishing, being like, "Ha, you idiots have no uh, idea." And you know that you one hundred percent know that because JJ like talking to Dan Trachtenberg about Cloverfield, he's like every single day. And this is pure Spielberg, too, which is like he's watching the dailies. He's emailing me about every insert shot. He's like, oh, the people are going to go wild when you push in on that or like when you get up tight on the slush show. You know, it's that kind of fetishism of every little angle where, yeah, that will happen in Star Wars by design because you're playing with iconography. But here you people will just run amok with imagination with Cloverfield and like you can really just it's, dwell on every single it's, image. It's so, open because it, it's so open because it only depends on a certain number of insert shots. So like, even though he could and should decide where his franchise is going, going forward, he doesn't have to because of the nature of what this franchise means in terms of advertising and what we know about the movie before we go into it. Yeah. The next uh, yeah. Cloverfield can be, anything it can be set yes, anywhere and it, it will be anyone. it will be anything it will take place on a completely different timeline totally um it will have absolutely nothing to do with the other but, but what, the beauty of it too is that this augmented reality game that they've been playing about 10 cloverfield lane does connect it you you can have it's just like 10 cloverfield lane yes have you, your cake and eat it too. exactly the movie is completely standalone and you, you can hire an unnamed person to live at Bad Robot and write the but fiction that connects these. What was movies. interesting is that, that Clover- guy does exist, and I really want to meet him, but the publicists won't let me. I think, ah. it's, a, I think it's a girl. What's interesting is that Cloverfield was a, a nonsense word, right? And then we sort of interpreted it, and I think this was really fueled by the decision to refer to the monster as Cloverfield, because people who worked on the film referred to it as Clover, and everyone just sort of thought of it as the Cloverfield Everyone monster. on Reddit calls it Clover. I sure. Think very odd. Um, but what this movie taught us, 10 Cloverfield Lane, is that Cloverfield as a thing does not anymore, at least, refer to one particular film, and certainly not one particular creature. It is yeah. now an identifier of a type of movie, and not a movie that is uh, you know indicative of a certain genre or style, but, I, and I, I sort of laid out earlier today online in a piece that I'm not crazy about, but you can find if you want, uh, about, sure. uh, um, about... You sold me. The You're the J.J. Abrams of your articles. <laughs> I know. Uh, about the sort of connective tissue between the two Cloverfields in a character sense and, like, what I think uh, the is shared in sort of the emotional tissue of these movies. But um, I do think that now I, I think of Cloverfield as a type of movie as the name of this anthology and that it, when I see the word Cloverfield dropped into a movie in the future, and I know I don't think it's going to be next year. I think it's going to be four years from now at the earliest. Um, it will tell me that it's probably another movie about a young person in a personal 
bobbly romantic crisis whose world gets suddenly turned upside down because their in, inner demons are made uh, exterior and extremely literal and large, um, and they're isolated from something. And well, they also invert. They they invert subvert um, classic genre modes, right? Like Godzilla becomes Cloverfield using different uh, mechanisms. I mean, this is all. But- this is all just like whittling down what's there, but like you can't you can't put a you can't abort a coordinate in 3D space with only two points. So the next one is the mm-hmm. one like right now Cloverfield's just a voting block. It's a whole bunch of people that didn't feel burned by two movies with that title, and so they're probably going to show up for the third one. I don't know if we have a through line of what this represents outside of like this first-time director sci-fi field or at least it doesn't yeah have i think to be. and i think if they're i think if they're smart they'll make they'll make it really vague like they've got this vote of confidence they've uh you know what was it george w bush said after he uh got elected a second time they have like a mandate to kind of make cloverfield daring and different and hopefully they'll do that so that they really set themselves but up I do, for you know 15 years worth of films i do really like different. that they hover above classic stories like i really do think 10 cloverfield lane is war of the worlds on so many levels from the broadcast on the, across the radio in the beginning and the flashes of light and the, mm-hmm. the design of the aliens and the crazy people in bunkers. Like, that's War of the Worlds. It's definitely yeah. War of the Worlds. And and Godzilla and, like, taking these classic stories and kind of reinventing them, ripping off their covers. And I have been months. pleasantly surprised, at least among the, you know, I haven't, I, I searched through some Twitter responses from strangers, uh, but only a handful. Uh, but just between those and the people that I know, I've been pleasantly surprised at how not, uh, swindled a lot of people have felt that people have been more willing to sort of roll with the idea that this wasn't and i know jj you, you should go on reddit and facebook i know well, I would so, no no one but, should don't do that jj abrams did a little bit of i think he realized that he could have another con situation on his hand he sprinted into action to run some interference but it wasn't much by talking talk to, to schmoes like us yeah by talking mm-hmm. to schmoes like us and being like please tell everyone you know this is not cloverfield too he wants again as patches said to have his cake and eat it too he wants to be like no it's totally cloverfield but like oh it's not cloverfield but like uh I'm, i don't think that all the people who contributed to its 25 million dollar opening weekend read our articles and yet by and large it seems that people were uh Pretty, we're we're, we're by this. Like and the B minus cinema, cinema score, score there we go. suggests that people were burned, but also That's enjoyed true. it enough not to have it ruin the experience. The cinema score. Dave, every time I think of cinema, cinema score now, I think of Dave because Dave's been part of the cinema score voting experience. Yeah, I gave a B plus to the witch or A minus or whatever. Yeah, I was much. <laughs> you could not than the weigh it in else. the positive. Sorry. I just, I just really want them to not screw this up. By doing like the wrong thing and like basically making like an unbreakable or like pivoting from sci-fi and monsters into like genre parody or like there's so many ways like basically like think of every talented first time director that you've ever like seen and like how many of those movies have been good. There's so many minds in this minefield and so you got to just kind of trust bad robot but I'm like that's a new thing for me as a Star Trek Star Wars uh, alias fringe fan. So like... I'm I'm very encouraged by the direction that Ten Cloverfield Lane did and not bombing, but I really want to see well like now that you have momentum, now that you've managed to take two what should have been like independent sci-fi movies and give them like a franchise momentum, like what do you do with that power? Well, so do you think that 
Hollywood can learn a lesson from 10 Cloverfield Lane? Has, has yes. 10 Cloverfield Lane made enough of an impact, number one? Um, I can't really. It's not going to be Deadpool, no. right? Deadpool well, no, but Deadpool is, Deadpool, is such an, Deadpool is such an interesting comparison because both these movies have gone creatively about uh, making a lot of money relative to their budgets. I mean, Deadpool made an exponential amount of money based on its budget. But Cloverfield, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was a very cheaply produced movie. Um, I think the budget probably rounded off a little bit south of $15 million. Um, has, if you add marketing into it, it's going to turn a profit already if it hasn't already very soon um probably has to do 60 million to be truly well it hasn't played anywhere overseas yeah. really uh but the thing is that um both of these movies oh, the difference between sorry the difference between deadpool and this one is that deadpool tried to be a bigger movie on a smaller budget and i think that's why it's such a piece of shit i mean it wants and to it be those large right i mean it, it certainly worked for it financially but i'm just talking about it as an experience it wanted to be uh, a mega budget movie. It didn't have the budget for it. It looks disgusting. Um, fuck that movie forever. <laughs> Cloverfield <laughs> no, knew because when it was shot, of course, it didn't necessarily have these aspirations. Um, it is a five to fifteen million dollar movie that looks and feels and was meant to be a five to fifteen million dollar movie. The marketing element that JJ Abrams sort of glommed onto it gave it the veneer of a uh, of a larger film, but. It still doesn't sort of overreach uh, what it wants to be, and I think what such what makes this such an interesting not template because I don't think it can be easily repeated, but a lesson for Hollywood to be learned going forward is that uh, it, it the movie the budget worked for the movie it wasn't something they had to stretch and it was really just how it was presented um, and they found a way that could have been really dicey and could have burned people but I think worked but it reminds me of the Mark Harris article that I was reading earlier today that he wrote in 2011 on GQ about the death of uh, Hollywood movies. And he was saying, I just, my train of thought completely derailed, but this is such a good point. Fuck. Uh, it's been a long day. Someone, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop in here. So like we had a whole bunch of successful, like independent sci-fi features back when we started podcasting, we had like our limitlesses and our source codes and like people showing up for interesting stories with interesting actors. What's happened like since then from my seat is that like everything's gotten so cluster fucked into like IP franchises that for some Ooh. reason the people in like the dollar seats don't think that anyone's going to show up to a mid-year movie that doesn't have a connection to anything else and to be fair we haven't given them a lot of reason to think that unless you're Pixar so the way that you know like people are fighting back uh, through economy or actual opinion is anthology, both on TV and in movies. That's our way out and have your cake and eat it too thing. That's what's Cloverfield's doing. What I'm hoping. Can I? That, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 I'll let you finish. Oh, I'm just hoping that like the way Clover, 10 Cloverfield Lane ends, there's a difference between Cloverfield killing off all the main characters, which is a, a ballsy thing to do for an independent sci-fi film. But the way Cloverfield 2 ends, I'm just like, that's, that's, but I don't know, 20 feet away from just Hobo with a shotgun straight up. Like, have your cake and eat wow. it, too. Wow. Uh, well, I, like everyone else listening, 
just rolled our eyes at Cloverfield too. <laughs> I was. Gonna, I thought uh, we were going to hit American Horror Story. Um, I thought that was going to be. The well, I think oh, that no, was the implication that, that, of anthology on television. I, I, I mean, that or people versus OJ Simpson. But like, that's the way to go around. Is you do these limited series that are telling one story, and it's sort of like people buy into the idea that you're going to deliver something of quality, and that sort of gives the illusion of this franchise brand fidelity that is what the marketers need to see in order to put some push behind your movie. Uh, I just wanted to button up the point that I was making earlier before, after this long, long Monday, my butter sort of slid off the knife, which was uh, that Mark Harris article, he, which he was writing about in 2011, he was writing about Inception, and now Inception was this very, very successful movie in that summer, but it seemed like everybody in Hollywood, rather than learn the lessons from it, as we were talking about they could potentially do from Deadpool and 10 Cloverfield Lane, was bending over backwards to sort of apologize for it and excuse it and say like, oh, that's just what Warner Brothers uh, did for Chris Nolan as like a thanks for making the Batman movies and to make sure that he would come back for The Dark Knight Rises. It was all about sort of thinking around that rather than tackling this movie that sort of challenged blockbuster norms in order to become so successful because what is difficult is very, you know, by definition sort of difficult to replicate. And they, there is this feeling, the big takeaway from that article is that these outliers are so successful, um, you'd think would teach Hollywood valuable lessons that someone would say, okay, we can't copy exactly what 10 Cloverfield Lane did, but maybe we can think outside of the box like that. Maybe we can push these smaller movies, but give them fancier bows and, and well, see what happens. I but they that, might um, not. I think that Midnight Special coming out this weekend from Warner Brothers, a studio that works with directors, is going to be a really interesting example. I, uh, you know, We'll talk about it later this week. I don't think that it will do 10 Cloverfield Blaine kind of money, but it is exactly that kind of movie where you take a gamble on a director who doesn't have an established blockbuster track record. Um, and that might be an example of how it can burn studios even when they try these gambles and why yeah. they might be so, so skittish. Because you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane was really gambling on an idea. It was really looking at it, milking brand recognition, using this Trojan horse of this like faint brand recognition from eight years ago and being like, well, that's enough but to get it over the hump of original the work, sci-fi. Doing the work to make it satisfying. You know, I really, this week I went into the pits of, of Reddit, as I mentioned, to just see what people were talking about in terms of the ARG, in terms of theorizing and what like gets people who are obsessed with the Cloverfield brand off. And you know, you expect maybe a lot of those people to be fed up, and there's there's definitely people like that who just felt burned by 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, but other people who invested in the outside fiction and found the connections, and I think there's stuff in 10 Cloverfield Lane that does connect to the original Cloverfield, and you can find it if you're really, 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 really looking. They do the work. Um, but if you're, you're talking not, about the ARG stuff, or well, I'm talking about the ARG stuff that connects the movies, and you can see. You know the seeds of that game kind of blossoming in the movie, but honestly, I'm I'm kind of caught up. I want to see the movie again just to see the last frame of the movie to see. Yeah, I just read your article. I don't know. I think uh... I've well, there was a screen cap that was up online, and I'm sure there are more now that people are probably bootlegging the movie. But damn, I think there's a chlorophyll monster in this movie. I'm just saying it. Wow, uh, guys, go for well, it. that's a big thing to go out on. But I feel like I <laughs> it, it took like in the clouds. Uh, in the clouds. It took like five minutes for me to realize that I might have been the only one that liked Tobo with a shotgun when I made that comparison. Yeah, so what just the hell? revising I back like that. I like that movie. Well, because I think the first Valentine's Day we spent together, uh, just in the afternoon, 
we watched Hobo with a Shotgun. And I swear to God, she almost broke up with me. Uh, yeah, how did you guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, so, just, when you're listening to that, I don't like that <laughs> argument that I made. Know that's the position I'm coming from. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, it'll be a really interesting year to watch what else happens with original films. If it feels like there aren't very many of them coming, but. Uh, I think we're going to get another Cloverfield sooner than four years from now, but uh, we'll could see. Could be next year. It could be next year. year. Do you wonder if, um, I wonder if Bad Robot had like another potential Cloverfield spinoff from another director, like in case Dan Trachtenberg turned out to suck at his job and not have the goods? Like, well, it could I, be this movie that Dave mentioned called God Particle. Which, yeah. You guys are high. Patches has been spending too much time on Reddit. Katie, I don't know. <laughs> you guys are crazy. No, they, they, this was developed. Cloverfield movie. You don't think they, they had like a they, backup plan? But like, what if you know? I'm not plan. saying there's a backup plan. I'm saying there might be another Cloverfield movie in the wings. But like, what if the movie had been bad and it ruined their brand equity? Then it would have been God uh, Particle with three less inserts. Listen, what if any movie had been bad and ruined their brand? I don't see why this is any different. You got to you can take chances. Know. You vet it's your a talent. J.J. Abrams was very closely involved. Um, the point is, the point is, we're all in the dark. We're all talking out of our asses. Yeah. And the next Go time we film movie, we won't know. But I, I do think off. that it's it it merits. Uh, I think that it's valid to say that these movies are predicated upon a certain sort of refractory period and building anticipation. I do think that releasing another one next year is not going to happen. Well, so was Star Wars, and we're getting another one this year. So well, make him eat those words. Make him eat those words, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Your friend David Ehrlich, just make a meet What if the Cloverfield monster shows up at the end of episode eight? Though, what? What? What if Cloverfield monster is Ray's father? That does it for this week's fighting in the war room. We'll be back on Friday to talk about midnight special, and then next week with the very special. Maybe we got our own little Cloverfield for next week. People don't know. <laughs> All right, I'll, I thought we were gonna hype it. Katie, something's coming. <laughs> is it the some, monsters? <laughs> is it some sort of lost episode? Many forms. Yes, it's a beast. Now you're, make, now you're gonna make people think there's going to be another episode about Lost, which uh, you know maybe there'll be one of those. Oh someday. God, no! I'm I'm sorry for that. Just retroactively for everybody who did all 15 pages of that. But I love you too. Uh, more podcasts coming in the future. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I am the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where you can comment, you can share the articles, or I was going to make a reference to something else that happened in the podcast I can't remember already. It's been that long. Monsters! FightingInTheWarRoom.com. Yeah, monsters come in many forms, like our website, (laughs) FightingInTheWarRoom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm a staff writer at Rolling Stone and a critic over at Slate. Uh, and you can find, and I'm also on Twitter at David Ehrlich, and you can find me and you and everyone you know pooping back and forth forever <laughs> on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E. That's also my Twitter handle. I write for Latino-Review-and-Geek.com. Oh, man. This week, guys, we're going to have some Daredevil primer on the Thought Bubble in our feed, and then probably something hyping the thing that Katie almost mentioned so make sure you're subscribed to many forums that's right 
Make sure to subscribe to the fightinginthewarroom.com feed. You're going to get a ton of podcasts, both uh, of all four of us, and then also some specialized podcasts based on things like Star Wars, Game of Thrones, comic books, maybe upcoming Harry Potter things. We're, we're your place for shit. Holy crap. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm Katie. I'm Katie Rich. I'm at VanityFair.com, where just normal levels of stuff is happening, um, and I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can talk to us. You can let us know if you saw Allegiant and if it's any good. Uh, share some Cloverfield theories, or me, just answer this. Or let us know mm-hmm. what kind of animals, anthropomorphized animals you like from animation. Yes, that's true. Yeah, uh, please share uh, screenshots of the uh, poor bunnies in. Uh, not Peter Pan. Robin Hood. Uh, Robin so Hood, sad. because I know, so sad. Um, or you can also just answer this week's lightning round question. What was it? In honor of miracles of from heaven, pick a role for Jennifer Gardner to play. That's better. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. <laughs>